the Latino Chamber of Commerce Chamber Chat Podcast Series. This podcast series is dedicated to bringing important information to you, our business community. Today's Chamber Chat Podcast Series is brought to you by Pueblo Counts. Pueblo Counts is dedicated to not only heightening the awareness of the 2020 census, but helping the community connect with how to respond. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Stephen Trujillo, President and CEO of the Latino Chamber of Commerce, here today with our Chamber Chat podcast series. We are joined today by Renee Martinez, who is the Partnership Specialist with the United States Census. And today's podcast is brought to you by Pueblo Counts, a group of collaborative organizations coming together to help ensure that all citizens in Pueblo County understand the importance of the census and are counted. And today we're going to be taking a little bit more of an in-depth look at the history of the census, the why and the purpose and all of those different pieces that bring us to the census and why it's important. So uh, Renee, as always, I want to start off by thanking you for your time here today, for bringing us the information, the work that you do here in our community to help ensure that all are counted, especially when it comes to the census, excuse me, such an important piece uh, of our civic duty, if you will, as we as we prepare for this. And I know there's been some changes with you know, the schedule of COVID and everything that we'll talk about here in just a minute. But again, many thanks just for the work that you do and for joining us here today on our podcast. So I will turn it over to you to start us off. Well, thank you, Stephen. And yes, I think it's a very important and timely topic. So first of all, I'd like to open by reminding you and everyone listening that everyone counts. So Pueblo counts, Pueblo County counts, Colorado counts, um, the nation counts. And the census moniker is that every person living in the U.S. should be counted once, only once, and in the right place. Uh, And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a while. So the U.S. Constitution requires a census every 10 years. And that is, again, everyone living in the United States. The first census was conducted in 1790, so quite a long time ago. So again, every 10 years, the results of the census are used to reapportion the House of Representatives, which determines how many seats each state gets. Also, um, the information will go forward in 2021 for the purpose of redistricting. So what we mean by that is how boundaries are drawn for congressional and state legislative districts. Um, So any population shifts um, that occur as a result of 2020 um, will determine how, again, how those districts are, are lined and outlined. Um, it's your civic duty to participate in the census. Again, I mentioned on the last podcast that if you value voting, you should value participation in the census equally. It's also about the funding. Um, there are 55 federal spending programs that um, are based on census data. So how many people Colorado puts forward will determine how much money we will get for the next 10 years. And that's what's really important is that it's not just lost for one year, it's lost for 10 years. So each person that is not counted, we're losing money that is vital for programming in our community. Also businesses and local governments use this information. So businesses or or potential businesses um, will pool census data to determine whether or not they wanna build in a particular community. Um, Local governments use it for public safety and emergency preparedness. So those are other programs that are used. And not to mention um, 
real estate developers, again, determine where to build homes and revitalize neighborhoods. So, so much information comes from simply being counted in 2020. Also want to remind that your data is confidential. Title 13 of the U.S. Code um, will hold your information in strictest confidence. So I, as well as all census workers, have taken a lifetime oath to never share your information. But also, as we mentioned on the last, last podcast, um, your information goes forward in aggregate or statistical format. So again, you're not identified by name and age and address, but rather collectively um, what Pueblo looks like uh, as far as population, um, ethnicity, and age, and so forth. Wonderful. Thank you, Renee. It certainly is an important piece. And going back as far as 1790, that is certainly important. And I want to maybe focus in on one of the points that you made about this data. And, you know, that's one area that I, I don't know if we've talked a lot about, just overall about the census. But, you know, the decisions that are made off of this data, certainly as it relates to business, are you able to share a little bit more at a local level what you've seen in terms of how that data is used uh, from our county level to our, our business level and how that, uh, you know, why it's so important to make sure the census is completed? Uh, well, what I can comment on is that um, definitely businesses look at our population to determine whether or not it would be economically savvy for them to locate in our community. Uh, I mentioned those 55 federal spending programs, uh, things like the school breakfast and lunch programs, special education, Title I, our service programs like TANF, WIC, Section 8 housing, et cetera. Also infrastructure, infrastructure, highway planning and construction is based on that. But also nonprofits use census data extremely when they're writing grants. Um, they need to know what the population is. They need to know what the, the complexion of if you will, of the city is, um, you know, what, what is our ethnicity? What is our age um, range? Do we have a, an elderly population or a really young population? Um, are we in fact seeing that once um, our students graduate from high school or college that they leave the community? All of those kinds of things can be found in census data, which is critical to um, background information for all those people that are writing grants. You know, one of the other things, Renee, that I know is a, a first for the census, and maybe you can talk about the history of how the public was to respond or is asked to respond, but we also have a first this year and how people can respond to the census. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and where people can go to get that taken care of? Yeah, so um, back in uh, the 1960 census, that was the first time that um, residents were sent a survey to complete and mail back. Um, historically, I mean, the way back in the original census, it was conducted door to door by horseback, um, if you can imagine that. But in 1960, we had the paper form. And since 1960 to this year, um, those surveys were mailed to each household. Uh, folks were asked to complete it and mail it back. Now, those people that did not complete the form, they would have a phone call or a visit at their door, and the enumerator would complete the survey for those that did not self-respond. So in order to keep up with current technology, in 2010 was the first year 
that you could respond online. Um, in addition, you could, you could phone in your survey. And for those folks that have done it, um, the paper method in the past and felt more comfortable doing it that way, that option was available. So starting around March 13th of this year, everyone was mailed an invitation to respond. Now, there is a disclaimer on that. Those folks who received their mail at a physical address were rec received that invitation to respond. Um, on that, there was an identification number inviting you to go online and fill out your survey, or you could use that identification number to call it in. Um, if you didn't do that within a couple weeks, you got a reminder postcard, a second reminder, and the fourth mailing was actually the survey. So even if you received the survey in the mail, you could still opt to call in or um, go online and use your identification number to fill out your survey. Folks that did not, did not receive their mail at a physical address, so for example, somebody who has a PO box, those folks did not get an invitation to respond. Uh, by design, we had census workers who were going to deliver the survey to the household because we cannot necessarily tie a P.O. box to a physical address, and that is why folks with a P.O. box do not receive that invitation to respond. We have to be able to actually verify the address. So that was part of a campaign called Update Leave. So the enumerator would update the address and leave the survey. However, after three days, those folks were called back due to COVID and that operation didn't uh, resume until um, June in some parts of the country and later um, in other parts of the country. So we did see in areas where people, uh, in rural areas where people have PO boxes, the self-response rate was a lot lower than in the city where folks had received that physical invitation to respond. Um, so again, this was a big year historically because never before were folks able to go online or call in their survey. Um, but finally, again, if, if you're a person that liked to do that traditional way, by all means, you, know, you could mail in your survey and you can still do that. Um, right now we have a campaign called Stop the Knock, um, and it's giving you this one last opportunity to, to get your survey in before someone comes up knocking at your door. If you do receive a door knock, um, I plead with the community to be kind to the enumerators. That is a big job um, to knock on somebody's door and ask to, to complete the survey. Now, if you're not home or if you choose not to answer, the census worker or the enumerator will leave notice that they visited and your identification number is on that notice. So that's your opportunity should you have lost or thrown away your original invitation. Um, you'll get that identification number again. You can go online or call in your survey. Um, if you do that, then you should not get a second visit. So a lot of historical milestones in this year's census, and certainly, you know, one of those goes without saying was, you know, the interruption of COVID-19 um, on that timeline. So do you want to maybe just touch briefly, uh, Renee, on the historical timeline of how the census has always been handled, but now certainly 
uh, this year, that altered timeline in, in how it's been pushed back to allow for people at uh, the time, if you will, to get their responses in? Yeah, and so um, I think what you're referring to is, is deadlines and dates. So when, in going back and looking at the census historically, I did go back to 1790 again. That was the very first census survey. Um, I found it interesting that Thomas Jefferson was at the time the director of the survey, and that first census, uh, six questions were asked, and enumeration day was on August 2nd. Now, in 2020, and for several censuses, uh, enumeration day is April 1st. So although we're still conducting the census currently, what is important to know about enumeration day or April 1st is that when you fill out the survey, you're responding to where you were physically on April 1st. So again, those babies that were born after April 1st, 2020 will not be counted on the 2020 census, um, but all of those born as late as March 31st are counted. That's uh, one of the things that is significant about that April 1st date. Um, I found that in 1810, there were seven questions. By um, 1820, um, we had John Quincy Adams as the director of the census. I thought that was also interesting. In 1830, there were 12 questions asked, and enumeration day was moved from August 2nd to June 1st. In 1830, we had a population of about 13 million. Um, by 1860, there were 14 questions. Our population had risen to 31 million. 1870, we were up to 20 questions. Um, so as years went on, more and more questions were included. 1880, 26 questions. The population was around 50 million. In 1890, we were all the way up to 30 questions. And there's lots of historical information. If you go to census.gov and just type in history, you can see what types of questions were asked in those early censuses. Um, in 1910, we were up to 32 questions and enumeration day had been moved to April 15th. By 1930, uh, enumeration day was on April 1st and it remains April 1st to this day. There were 34 questions on the 1930 census. In 1940, what is significant is that's when we split to a short form and a long form. So for the decennial census, we refer to that as a short form. And now in 2020, there are nine questions. However, on the off years or the in-between years, we do continue to perform a census, but that is called the American Community Survey. And so that's how we get data in the off years. And again, that's considered the long form. So that goes back to 1940. Um, by 1980, there were 19 questions on the short form, but 52 questions on the long form. And so if this happened to be a year um, that you got the long form and, and about one in 38 households received the long form, you would still be asked to complete the short form as well. Um, so that's, that's one of the questions I've heard a lot of um, during 
during the past um, year, year and a half that I've been with the survey, with the census, excuse me. Um, by 2010, we were looking at more than 300 million residents in the United States. And uh, what I failed to mention, in, 19, in 1790, New York City was our largest city in the United States. And in 2010, that remained the same. So no change there. So I thought that was interesting. From 1790 to 1840, only the names of heads of households were asked. But beginning in 1850, all free persons were listed by name. And then I mentioned that in 1960 is when we had the mailback survey. Into the year 2000, approximately 95% of all households in the United States received a questionnaire. And again, of those people that did not mail it back, enumerators called or visited homes. Um, so we're striving in 2020 to reach all households. Last March, we had folks going door to door, um, confirming addresses, and then going to areas where uh, new housing was, was built or new developments so we could get new addresses that were not even um, a household back in 2010 so that we could be sure that everyone um, had the opportunity to respond in 2020. Wow, that's certainly some interesting bits of history there. I didn't know all of that. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say that I was an expert in any stretch of the imagination about the census, but I've come to learn quite a bit uh, through the engagements here over the last couple of months. But just to hear all of the history that you shared, uh, what, what an incredible story it tells of the development of our communities across the country and specifically uh, you know, I, I hope that people tuning in here to the podcast hear and kind of see why it is important that individuals in our community and certainly every community across the state and the country are counted because it really, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of information that is coming out of that count that we use over the course of the next 10 years. Uh, and then the next census will be 2030, right? 2030, yes. So that's why we want to get it right. Um, this year because we have to live with that data for 10 years. Um, and so I want to remind folks that um, to go online, you look for my2020census.gov. If you just go straight to the 2020 census website, it will also direct you to the survey. If you decide to call it in, that number is 844 3030-2020, but I'd like to mention that if you feel like you want to call in and you speak a language other than English, you can go to the website and all the different numbers are available based on language. So there, there are several different numbers that you would call based on your language needs. Also, if you go online, you can find the, available, the survey available in 13 languages. You just have to toggle across the top, choose your, the language you speak, and uh, it'll, it'll redirect you to that survey in that language. Um, and again, you still have the opportunity to mail back your form. And if those efforts um, have not worked, then you are likely to receive a knock on your door. Again, I mentioned earlier, even if you receive that knock and you are not home, 
um, the enumerator will leave that notice of the visit and your identification number will be there. So, so you still have an opportunity to go online or to call in your survey. I know there's some folks that I run into who didn't realize that the census is still occurring. And that's probably because they're used to the old census um, timeline, which again was April 1st through July 31st. However, due to COVID, um, that deadline was extended to September 30th. So there's still time and we hope that people will respond. Um, in looking at response data just earlier today, um, we still have some work to do. Um, nationally, the response rate is at 63.6. However, the state of Colorado um, is doing better than the national rate at 66.9%. And then Pueblo County as of today is at 63.4%. In 2010, uh, we were at 65.8%. So we're not doing quite as well as we did in 2010. And I'd very much like to see us meet or exceed that self-response rate. Now that does not mean that only 65% of households responded in total in 2010. It only means that 65% chose to respond on their own. The other folks um, responded by survey at their door. We find that people that do self-respond um, take more time and the surveys are more accurate and complete if they do it on their own as opposed to um, conducting or completing that survey by interview. So we encourage people to definitely self-respond and it's not too late. Wonderful. No, certainly important. There is time to respond. So that's the big message we want to push. You know, all the history is, is phenomenal information to have. Certainly understand now the reason and the purpose behind it even more fully and want to drive home that message. As you said, Renee, there is still time to respond and we still have work to do. So tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell the family, make sure that that census is completed, uh, completed, excuse me. And there's a number of ways to do that. So uh, we want to make sure that our community is aware of that. We do have a, yeah, oh, I'm sorry, Stephen. Uh, uh -huh. I just wanted to mention our Facebook page, Pueblo Counts. We encourage you to follow us there and, and again, encourage your friends and family to follow us there. Um, there's lots of um, important information that you can find there. And as I mentioned earlier, you can always go to census.gov or 2020census.gov. Uh, to find information on the census. Wonderful. Well, Renee, I want to thank you again for taking the time to bring more information to our communities to share, especially the history, just to help deepen our knowledge about the census and the reasons why it's so important for us as citizens to complete that beyond just saying, well, it's our civic duty. I mean, I think it really speaks to, you know, the tradition, if you will, that uh, has been established and how we use that data to make some informed decisions here in our community. So as always, Renee, thank you so much for the work that you do along with your colleagues at the census to help ensure that all in our community are counted. We appreciate it very much. And we also want to give a special shout out and thanks to today's podcast sponsor, and that is Pueblo Counts, that collaborative group of community organizations coming together to help ensure that all are counted in our county of Pueblo. So many thanks to our sponsor. And Renee, thanks to you again for joining us here on our podcast. Thank you, Stephen. 
Well, until next time, this is Stephen signing off with our Chamber Chat podcast series. We hope that you uh, will take advantage of the information, share it with friends and neighbors, let others know that is the reason why we bring this information to you in our podcast series. We appreciate you tuning in and listening. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you very soon. Take care.